Welcome to the podcast for 1776 Forward. We're the grassroots movement that's crowdsourcing activism for the cause of philosophical liberalism. Stand up. Speak out. Right, let's get started. It is a big day for us here with 1776 Forward because we are finally doing the official launch. This is a project that we've been working on for several months. We even did a soft launch back in November and we got some really great feedback and now we're finally ready to take this to the world. And we thought maybe one of the best ways to get this official launch kicked off would be to start with a conversation with those of us who've been really key to this project. My partner in founding this organization, Chris Bush, and also Adam Moldavsky, Donald Sizemore, who are coming on as some of our podcast host team. And in this conversation, we wanted to talk about the whys and the hows, why we each think that the cause of liberty and freedom is so important to fight for, and how we plan to do that in our lives and with this particular project of 1776 Forward. So I'm going to start by turning this over to Chris, who can even talk about his own personal why, I hope, and then start to give some insight into our ideas in founding this new grassroots movement of 1776 Forward. Great. Thank you, Joya. And uh, thanks, Adam and Donald, for for joining us for this uh, official kickoff chat. Uh, it's been great uh, fun, even laying the groundwork and building up and a couple uh, soft launch podcasts we've we've already created for for all of our viewers and participants. Um, to pick up Joya's specific question and, and kick off the topic for today's discussion, um, for those of you who may have listened to our introductory uh, podcast on the what of 1776 Forward and the 10 themes behind it, you may uh, recall Joy and I talking a little bit about our motivation and purpose back then. Um, but I'll, you know, I could just recap and go into a little more detail here, namely um, Joy and I, we actually met through a philosophy club in our college days and as as any organization devoted to ideas and advancing them in the culture is, uh, tends to become, you know, it, it definitely had an activist element where, you know, we were promoting, promoting our cause in the campus in the wider world. And that was a lot of fun. It was inspiring and, and fulfilling for anyone who's interested in ideas. And so that just personally was a value for both of us, certainly, um, has been one for, for me uh, my entire adult life. And uh, when we left school, uh, we kind of each went and focused on our career pursuits and didn't really have that, that outlet anymore for um, philosophical values or, and, and activism. So that was just something that personally I felt was, was lacking in my life that I wanted to get back onto. And then moreover, looking at the general illiberal trend in the culture in the years following my leaving college, I just felt a growing sense of uh, necessity to do that as well and wanting to have an impact. So it started with that, how can I have an impact? How can I promote the values of reason, freedom, individualism in the wider culture at large? And that's what set Choi and I um, on the path to ultimately 
exactly uh, what you see here, 1776 forward and this movement. Um, so when we set out to kind of come up with our, our what, uh, what and how we would go about promoting these values in the culture, you know, we, we started out by kind of just taking stock of our values, um, all of which are now summarized and, and I think beautifully articulated in our manifesto. It took us a long time to get to that point of expression, um, but we, you know, certain core values of ours were always there, namely the value of the individual and, uh, but a recognition that, you know, we need both autonomy and community uh, as individuals, um, and as the nature of human beings. So how do we create a structure that upholds kind of the cardinal value of individualism and just the reality of the fact that every person is unique person with different values and objectives. And that's hard to then organize under, under kind of a, a common purpose um, to reason and critical thinking. How do we promote uh, civil debate and discourse um, in, in our discourse? that I think as most people who live in modern day America would probably agree is it's definitely a, a waning uh, more moral if you will um, and then freedom itself uh, and and kind of how do you activate for that cause so um, you know we toyed around with and spent a lot of good time thinking through how best to do that and then of course also how to speak to our time how to create an organization that was relevant to um, to every to kind of where people are today, the social media age, the kind of instant uh, feedback and interaction and engagement age, very electronic and digital, um, and also somewhat splintered and and highly highly um, individualistic. So you know all of these things kind of came together for us to think through okay how do we create a new organization that can activate for these these causes and these values in a way that will resonate with people um, but that also is consistent with our values so that's kind of where we came ultimately latched on to this notion of crowdsourcing kind of a grassroots movement because we realized ultimately that we we didn't want to just be another organization where we as the founders, Joya and me, uh, are kind of like setting the tone from the top down. You know, we certainly didn't have any sense of, um, you know, uh, that we knew all of the answers, how best to do this. Um, and we also wanted to be pretty, pretty big tent and broad appeal, both in who we were attracting to our cause, um, because in our view, everybody in the culture is a potential friend of, uh, the values of philosophical liberalism outlined in our manifesto, um, but also topically as well, because our goal is kind of is at the highest 10,000 foot level, kind of promoting liberty in all dimensions of our culture. And so you know, we specifically eschewed a model of one single issue advocacy or, or, or other organization uh, or kind of other narrower focuses that other organizations uh, engage in. So, you know, that that's kind of what led us to this notion of crowdsourcing and really wanted to draw upon the individual contributions of everybody out in the culture who is fighting for these values in their own life and see if we can't create somewhat of a network effect that will bring people together under the umbrella of the values of our manifesto. So, you know, I think what really distinguishes 
that's kind of the how we plan to go about doing this. And, and you know, I think what really distinguishes this movement from other organizations that are out there is, um, you know, that we are big tent. We specifically state in our manifesto that, um, you know, we are not kind of a ideologically monolithic organization or group of individuals, really whatever side of the political spectrum you come from, um, if you if the values outlined in our manifesto speak to you, then you know we we want and and invite all to to join our cause. Um, breaking down the silos that often exist, which we find in the liberty movement, uh, you, you know you'll find think tanks that are kind of focused on um, certain policy advocacy or issues. You've got issue advocacy activism organizations and nonprofits. You've got political campaigns, you've got writers and freelancers, and then you've got individual kind of on the ground citizen activists. Um, but, but, you know, I think there's a real way in which many people fighting for our values have not historically been as well organized or coordinated as those kind of um, for, uh, for the values that we oppose. Um, so uh, on the left in particular, so, um, you know, that was another goal. And then ultimately just connecting through the network effect, connecting like-minded and like-valued individuals. So that's our aspiration. That's what we hope to offer to all of you who are listening or watching and, and how we can differentiate ourselves. And, you know, I'm sure we will uh, in time as we encounter activists fighting for their individual causes, we will probably end up aligning with other groups that are out there, but, um, you know, we, we really, uh, our emphasis is on kind of the crowdsourcing from the from the bottom up, uh, all of those out there who who subscribe to uh, or the values of our manifesto resonate with them. Thank you, Chris. That was a great comprehensive description of what we're doing. So now I'm going to turn it over to Donald to tell us your why and how. Thank you, Joya. Uh, so, hello, my name is Donald Sizemore. I am a senior at Florida State University studying real estate, economics, and finance. I am a local coordinator with Students for Liberty, as well as chair of College Libertarians of Florida State University, where I've helped promote liberty for almost the past four years. Over those four years, I've led weekly discussions, hosted libertarian book club meetings, coordinated efforts with other pro-freedom student groups, and conducted liberty activism on my campus. I fight for liberty because I find it essential to a functioning and prosperous society. We all practice liberty every single day when we make decisions that are in our best interest and subconsciously trust others to do what is in their best interest. Liberty and self-interest are what undermines trust, trade, and a mutual respect for one's fellow man. And these are the values that fundamentally underpin the thriving world we see in the West. And their absence is what underpins the lack of prosperity we see in other parts of the world. I fight for liberty because I see my fellow man as my equal, and I do not believe that I know what's better for his life than he does for mine, and that the use of force to subvert somebody to do as I will them will only result in resentment and unintentional adverse consequences. I fight for liberty because it is of the utmost value to the kind of society in which I want to live. That's why when Joya and Chris reached out to me to ask that I join the 1776 Ford Project, I knew it'd be a great opportunity for me to help spread these ideals. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Donald. Adam, you are up next.
Oh, all right. If you insist, Joya, I will unmute. And thank you so much uh, for the introduction. My name is Adam, as Joya told us. I'm a retired software engineer. I came to the ideas of liberty first through conversations with my father, a political scientist, and later through reading Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged when I was in college. The concept of 1776 forward calls out to me because I think that most of the principles we need to be successful as individuals and as a country are laid out in the Declaration of Independence. I consider the only proper function of a government is to protect individual rights. And in our podcast, I'd like to see that principle challenged and defended. I believe that in order for a country to prosper, it needs only a culture and legal system that respects individual rights, property rights, and the rule of law. I believe that capitalism has been misunderstood and mischaracterized. It is not so much a system as the absence of a system. That is, it is what arises naturally when people are free to make voluntary arrangements with one another. In other words, it is freedom expressed in the realm of economics. Patrick Henry does not seem to be a popular figure these days, but his call to value freedom above life itself resonates with me. This used to be part of the American spirit, and I'd like to see it reemerge. As for what I'm doing about it, I try to live the philosophy of freedom and individual rights myself. And when Joya asked me to join a podcast promoting the uh, spirit of liberty and liberal values, traditional liberal values, not what we call uh, the left today, I said, yes. So what I'm doing in part is what you're watching or listening to. And we are glad to have you on board. I'm so excited to see the podcast episodes everyone here is going to produce. So I'll just take a, a few moments and share my own why and, and how. So similar to Adam, I also discovered the works of Ayn Rand at a pretty young age. I've always been a reader and eventually even went to grad school in English and American literature, which is where and how I met Chris. And in my own life, I've gone through philosophical evolution. I no longer would consider myself an objectivist because I do believe objectivism is the name that Ayn Rand gave to her philosophy and her ideas. And I ultimately think that there are things that I would disagree with or places where I would go beyond what she said. But there are definitely aspects of her philosophy that I believe are true and right. And one of the most important things for me, even in discovering her philosophy, was to discover the concept of philosophy more broadly. To me, specifically, what I find valuable in philosophy is what's often called epistemology and ethics. But how I like to think about it is critical thinking skills and values and virtues. And these are three ideas that I'm really excited that we're going to explore with this project, with the focus on philosophical liberalism, starting with this idea of 
critical thinking and freedom of thought requires freedom. Chris mentioned that we're creating a big tent and to my mind, the huge value of that is to bring together people who will have disagreements, who will be thinking about these and their these ideas in their own individual ways and coming up with their own conclusions. And we want to create a platform and a space where people can come together and argue about these ideas so we can all learn and grow. And learning and growing lead to the other aspect of philosophy I find so valuable, which is thinking about values themselves. What are the values we ought to be pursuing? And then living virtuous lives. Adam mentioned the principle of individual rights, and that's a principle I think will guide our thinking and action. And I want to explore the concept of principles itself, principle as a concept that connects both thinking and values, the principles that guide our ideas and the principles that guide our actions. And I do believe that in the world, we need people who will virtuously stand up for the value of freedom. As I see it, history has proven that freedom is what leads to prosperity and happiness for humanity. And we should be standing up proudly, virtuously, for the value of the system. But I'm excited for us to get started and to go really deep with all of these ideas and living these ideas in our lives. So the next part of this conversation, we asked everyone to, if they wanted to prepare a question. So I think we're gonna spend about the next 25 minutes or so, everyone can have an opportunity to ask and answer any of these questions that might start to flesh out some of the concerns and ideas and uh, topics of interest that will get this project started here in January 2021. So Chris, why don't you go, you can start off and what question would you like to bring to the group? Sure, thanks, Joya. Um, yeah, my question, and I, I think it's a, you know, it's a helpful one to frame up even what we're embarking upon with 1776 Forward is, I'm curious anyone's thoughts, if you have any, um, of uh, on the subject. I'm not sure if you've even thought about it, and I know we're all, we're all getting each other on the spot here. But you know, my question is if anyone has any thoughts on why it is that you know I'll call it, for lack of a better term, the liberty movement, or those activating for all of the values we articulate, the philosophically liberal values we articulate in, in our manifesto. Why is it that that movement has not made as much progress in the culture um, as seemingly, uh, again, kind of the, the better organized uh, opponents of those values, um, which seem to be dominant in the culture. Uh, we see growing, uh, you know, just growing movements for, uh, you know, various causes that are that are set against some of the founding principles and in uh, in our founding documents of America, you know, um, growing calls kind of across the culture to reconceive uh, almost always in a narrower vision of our um, First Amendment and other uh, Bill of Rights rights and protections laid out in our constitution. 
um, for various reasons, et cetera. So, you know, that clearly has been the dominant trend and, and kind of a point I spoke to at the beginning of just this notion of silos between advocates on the liberty side of the equation, whether it's objectivists, libertarians, um, uh, you know, other pro-freedom fighters, uh, who, uh, you know, on both sides, kind of classical liberals, if you will, on both the right and the left, et cetera. So, um, and why do you think it is that that the opposition is more effective at that? Donald, you had some thoughts about that? Yeah, so uh, I could speak to this a little bit. Um, this actually uh, was brought up, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend about this just a little bit ago. Um, I had an interaction with somebody on Facebook and, and the Facebook comments of a post, which overall generally not a good idea um <laughs> but i you forget yeah i forget the exact circumstance and the exact topic at hand but it was in a a libertarian facebook group and the post uh the the person who posted was basically making the argument that the libertarian nominee for president joe jorgensen and i might be wrong on the specifics of the quote but it was something along the lines of that we should not be not that philosophy is not important but that maybe we shouldn't be harking on that as much if we're trying to make it as a, you know, a mainstream party. And people were posting that, you know, how dare she not be so, so focused on philosophy that the reason that the Libertarian Party is not more mainstream is not because, you know, we focus on the issues, it's because we don't focus, at, we, it's because we don't focus enough on the philosophy. We don't hark enough on the epistemology. And this kind of libertarian puritanism of, you know, if you don't, if you're not on the farthest extreme of the, of the libertarian spectrum, that you are not pure enough for the movement and that you must be, you know, chastised or like removed from the movement. Um, and, and I was in, in this engagement that I had with this person, I was basically trying to make the argument that not that, you know, philosophy is not important in a lot of spheres, uh, but, you know, the average, uh, you know, industrial worker in rural Ohio does not study epistemology like the average american and i feel like this this like you were saying chris it it, it plays along with the silos that that oftentimes i feel like the liberty movement can find itself in uh some of, of these echo chambers where we think that well everyone thinks the way that we do and how dare somebody not be so entrenched in philosophy um but the average american is doesn't really think about it all that much so i feel like part of the reason that the libertarian movement has not become more mainstream is the, the puritanism and too much of the focus on the, you know, the high up super deep philosophical ideals when a lot of times I feel like it would do us better, at least when connecting with the average American, just focus on how these things can benefit them in their daily lives and not necessarily on the higher, higher moral ethics of it all. I love that. I want to speak to something there because I know I just went on a, a whole little talk about why I value philosophy, but I was the person who studied English in college because that is my belief about why philosophy is valuable. Philosophy includes, I believe, what you study in academic departments, but philosophy is your beliefs, your values, what it is that matters to you, what it is in life you're actually trying to achieve. It really is the culture that surrounds us. So 
I'm really hoping that a huge part of what we're even able to do with 1776 Forward is start to crowdsource from other people who are interested in making inroads in the culture. And I would say that's something that I've seen, that the left, and, and as far as I understand the history, that many people on the left had this as a very specific explicit directive to infiltrate the cultural institutions, to, in, to infiltrate academia, media, entertainment, movies. And they've been doing this since the mid 20th century. And I think we need to see these ideas come forth, not just in abstract philosophical treatises and documents, not just in philosophical departments in academia, but to see how these ideas actually manifest in the culture, in pop culture, in the ways that people are choosing to live their day-to-day -day lives. So Joy, in a sense, are you saying basically uh, that I think if I'm interpreting correctly, you're, you're, I think you're basically saying that, in fact, even the average iron worker in Ohio or steel worker in Ohio, the example you gave, Donald, um, I don't know if I got the industry right, um, even though they may not be consciously uh, kind of thinking about philosophy, it is kind of embedded and implicit in the culture around us and even in each individual's conscious or unconscious value system. And so therefore, you know, part of the challenge then for, for our cause is to infuse the culture more proactively and consciously with alternative values so that that becomes more of kind of people's mainstream consideration or, or I guess alternative you know, in their minds. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would say that iron worker has a philosophy, even if they don't identify it as being that, but they have a system of beliefs that they are acting on, even if it is implicit. They have values. Why did this person choose to be an iron worker? Maybe they didn't even choose and they thought, you know, they, they came from a family of iron workers and so they thought it was their destiny, but that in itself is a belief that reflects an underlying philosophy. So I, I do think that, uh, that a huge part of it is to, to get these ideas of liberty so that they're not just things you're experiencing in books or from think tanks or in magazines or in journals, but they are just part and parcel of how people think about what it is they care about and how they're living their daily lives. And I think maybe uh, I should clarify a little bit. I don't feel like philosophy is not important. Philosophy is extremely important. And I agree with you, Joy, that people, you know, whether you're in the upper echelons of academia or not, uh, you know, do think a lot about philosophy, I think, just subconsciously. But I think what, what the liberty movement needs to, uh, I guess, try and focus more on is less on the academia, you know, having these super long essays and, you know, speaking on this very high level, but being able to have just normal conversations and being able to t explain to people, the average person, why this is important instead of talking about, you know, the upper, you know, academic epistemology of, of why, you know, A is A and et cetera. I, I feel like that it, it creates a, somewhat of a disconnect between the academics and the average person and the average person is what makes a movement, right? So I, I just wanted to clarify. Oh, thank Thanks you. for the clarification. And our, and Adam, do you, you wanna say, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, 
Go ahead. No, I was going to ask if Adam wanted to say anything, and then maybe we'll we'll try to get to Donald's question because we are going to be running out of time soon. Adam, you have to unmute yourself again. Sorry, I'll do that for you. Thank you, Joya. I do have something to say, as usual, as some of my friends and acquaintances would assert. I think the answer to Chris's question in part has to be philosophical. The both the right and the left have been leading the United States and other countries towards bigger and bigger roles for government for the past uh, century at least. And being an Ayn Rand fan, I have to think the reason is what Rand identified. It's that both the right and the left accept the philosophy of altruism and that that leads inexorably to the uh, to the bigger government that they both seem to want. That is, the left wants a bigger government and the right says they want smaller government, but in fact, they want a bigger government only for the things that they value, or they want perhaps slightly less bigger than the left does, but it still grows every year. Historically, some of my friends say, well, this is just the conflict between capitalism and socialism. It's a seesaw, one goes up and then the other one goes up and it's a cycle that can't, uh, can't be stopped. I, I think that's pessimistic. And I think that ignores the role of altruism. I think perhaps we cannot stop the cycle until we recognize that it's caused by altruism. Now, in our current society, almost everybody accepts altruism as a synonym for good and benevolent. And over time in the podcast, I hope to uh, address that. And maybe I shouldn't even, uh, I shouldn't even be bringing up the, the term because it needs a lot more grounding for, for you know, what I'm making is, is a controversial assertion, but I had to bring it up or I felt compelled to bring it up because I think ultimately it's the answer to uh, the question Chris is posing. And, Maybe we can get into this more in the future. Oh, thank you for sharing, Adam. I definitely want us to get more into this into the future because Ayn Rand's concept of altruism is one of the things that I think is problematic in her philosophy. I think she has some observations that are true and then there's something about it that I think is confused and, and problematic and, and, and to a certain extent just wrong, but it would require a much longer, deeper conversation. So this is the teaser for you and I to duke it out and have that big, deep conversation. But for today, well, we only great. have about, we only have about 15 minutes left. So I wanna reserve my right as timekeeper and say, let's just switch to Donald's questions so that we get some more of the questions in here. But you and I will let's definitely go. can have a big altruism uh, grudge match. <laughs> I was just, I was just gonna say, Joy, I think you, you and I being Opposing on this is going to be uh, great for the podcast because both our friends and our enemies are going to want to uh, hear what's going on. And 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 Donald, 
yeah, so actually my question somewhat piggybacks uh, off of Chris's and off of the conversation we've been having here. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, if there was, what, what you feel like is the most successful instance of progressing the values of freedom and liberty in your lives. These, can, this instant, these kinds of instances can be um, an event that maybe you hosted in your college days. Uh, it could be a conversation that you had with a friend. Uh, just any instance where you feel like you've really made um, some progress in advancing the ideas of liberty. Well, I'll answer that one. I think Joya did amazing things advancing the concept of liberty when she helped run the NYU student group in Manhattan. They brought in roughly one speaker a month on a variety of controversial topics, and each one was better than the next. They got uh, great audiences, and I personally learned a lot and met interesting people. And I was really impressed by the whole thing. And it's, it's sad that when you have a student group, sometimes the students graduate, you know, as much as we'd like them to stay forever for our benefit. They have their own lives to live. And sometimes, you know, the next class or classes just aren't quite so interested. Thanks, Adam. And I want to make sure to point out that that wasn't just me. It was me and Chris and also our friend Stefan. The three of us really were the powerhouse that, that made that possible. But I'm going to piggyback on that and share what I think from, from that experience of hosting all these events. And we also, just as part of our student group, ran discussion groups, small groups, book discussion groups. But interestingly, when I look back at all of those experiences, if I had to pull out what I think was most successful, interestingly, I think it really was the opportunity to build one-on-one -on -one relationships, to build friendships, that, that it wasn't just the ideas itself. It was actually making a connection with another human being and having that one-on-one -on -one individual connection and, and getting to care about that person. And then from that, that groundwork of, of goodwill, you could say, or, or for caring about that other person as a friend, then we were able to start there and have really fascinating conversations. And Chris and Stefan continue to be two of my very closest friends because I believe we developed this friendship and then we, we got to go really deep and explore some really important ideas. That's wonderful. And I, I second the sentiment, Joya, uh, about our friendship uh, and the experience from it. Um, and I think it's also touches upon wonderfully one of, one of the goals of kind of connecting through this network affect like-minded and like-valued individuals. Cause I think there definitely is something there about kind of the ethic of trust and respect that come, that is necessary for civil discourse and, and critical discourse and examination of these issues, um, you know, which we hope to model in our own lives and through these podcasts and with everything we're doing. Um, I guess my answer to you, Donald, would be um, I guess one of the early projects, Joy is, Joy is familiar with this story. I won't go into the full detail, but um, one of my early career projects was um, helping support the rebuilding of the World Trade Center in New York City. And um, for anyone who was around during that era, after 9-11, there was 
a huge uh, multi-year and uh, very contentious debate as to what to do with the, the World Trade Center, the destroyed World Trade Center site and how to rebuild New York City. And even there in 20 years ago, 2001, 2002, you already saw a lot of the illiberal trends creeping in, just even a lot of the premises and mindsets of certainly government actors in the city agencies and state agencies that had some measure of authority over the site, kind of in how they were thinking about it. And so, and I just, even at that early age, I was in high school at the time, but even at that early age in my life, I kind of intuited um, many of these values of philosophical liberalism and freedom uh, and capitalism that I definitely felt those towers symbolized and that New York City symbolized. And that certainly were the source of why we had the Twin Towers in New York City in the first place. So to me, it was just obvious that that was what the effort should be focused on is reaffirming and restoring those values um, in a center like the former World Trade Center that affirmed them. So I embarked on a letter writing campaign and lobbying campaign personally to a lot of the decision makers, both in the public and the private spheres to, to kind of persuade um, persuade them to make the case for those values. Um, I don't know what kind of led me to it other than just a, a passion and kind of that youthful naivete of well, why shouldn't they listen to me, some no-name per, you know, high schooler from uh, Ohio? You know, I have a voice, and it, you know, and in a real way, I, in which I felt that any small voice, with armed with the better argument and the better values, can make an impact. And you know, I definitely feel that there were critical points in that process where that activism and lobbying, at minimum, helped provide some measure of moral support to developer, Larry Silverstein, who was fighting most of these illiberal uh, politicians and, and bureaucrats trying to take it over and do something different, um, and maybe even had an impact on the politicians and bureaucrats themselves, because I think what ultimately did get built and made it through that whole gauntlet of a process um, was in large measure something uh, that reaffirmed those values. So to me, I think the lesson is you know, direct lobbying, um, making your case civilly, respectfully, professionally, but um, coherently and on principle can have a real impact even, you know, at the grassroots ground level, as well as kind of at the decision-making levels of those in positions of power and authority. Donald, I'm curious to hear how you answer your own question, because I know you you run a very active and I would say quite successful Students for Liberty group. So I'm curious, even just from your experience, what. Uh, yeah, so I was actually going to say it was very similar to your experience, Joya, that uh, it's, it's a lot about relationships. So just in the same way that it sounds to me like you guys had kind of a strong triad, Joya, Chris, and uh, third person, Stefan, Stefan. Um, Stefan, yes. Hopefully Stephan. Well, we're going to see Stefan at some point on this podcast. I think Chris okay. and I are going to make sure that that happens. Right. <laughs> Um, I, I myself have a very similar, like strong triad. Uh, my, my two great friends, Jonathan and Naomi, uh, helped, you know, build the club up from um, when I, when we took it over when I was a freshman and what it became ultimately uh, over the, over the past three years. Um, a lot of people, you know, when we took it over, we were getting maybe seven or eight members uh, a week. And then by the time 
within a year, we more than quad, like uh, quadrupled that. We had, had was almost at 40 members a week. Um, and a lot of that was just because we were having fun. Like I was making, we were making relationships with the people that would come in. We would treat them like human beings, not like a number. You know, we would, we would hang out with them afterwards and we would just talk and just, you know, develop a relationship with those people. And those conversations, it wasn't the lecturers that, uh, the lecturers that we had come in and give talks to our group that really, I think, changed minds. Though I do think that it was very educational and that helped. I think what fundamentally changed minds were the conversations that, uh, you know, these pro-freedom activists, myself, my friends included, um, had with, you know, these random people who would come in and you just talk with them over like a beer, you know, just have a conversation with them and, and explain to them your position. And it's, it's not like so formal. I feel like relationships and relationship building like that is really what helps change a lot of minds. That's wonderfully said. So unfortunately we are almost out of time and I know I'm really upset. I, I had a question I was gonna ask. I, I'm curious to hear from you guys about the resources and tools that you found most helpful as we're crowdsourcing from everyone else. I wanna even hear some of your experiences and maybe questions you wanna ask. And then I know Adam has a really interesting question too that, that asks about, specifically about reason and critical thinking and what it is perhaps in our culture that, that that's not as valued as much as the four of us would like to see that valued. But we're going to table that as this is a teaser for a future conversation. And we will definitely set up the uh, altruism grudge match between me and Adam. So lots of things to look forward to. I'm so excited we're getting this started off. It is just the beginning. So bye for now, everybody. Bye all. Thanks, Thanks everyone. everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join in the conversation, you can become a member for free and join our 1776 Forward community on Locals.com. See you there.